0: So my kids go to a place called the Little Forest School. Stand in front. And it's classical Christian school. Christina, my wife, works there. Danielle, Chris's wife, works there. Um, and they do this. You know, in the early grades, um, they do this exercise where they you write a heart on a piece of paper. You Draw a heart on a piece of paper, and then you crumple it up. And you crumple up a piece of paper. And uh, that's like when you do something, like, wrong to someone else, right? And then you say sorry to that person. You take that crumpled up heart, and you uncrumple it, you smooth it out, right? And what do they say, Jay? Do you know this? Sorry doesn't mend a crumpled heart. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, are you tracking with that? Sorry doesn't mend a crumpled heart, right? So it's like you can, you can say you're sorry, right? But if you do something to someone else, just saying you're sorry, like maybe on, you know, the paper gets folded out, but it doesn't get smooth again, right? The lines are still there from what you did. It's this, this little object lesson for little kids on um, how to uh, understand that there's more to making things right than just saying you're sorry. I mean, saying you're sorry is useful, depends how you say it. <laughs> um, uh, but saying you're sorry is useful, but sorry doesn't mean a crumble heart. I was thinking about this. Um, like and in our culture, a cultural moment of like anger and injustice, full on hardcore anger and injustice. I mean, you know, I think when I was in college, the, the spirit was much more like moral permissiveness. Who cares? Bill Clinton did whatever. That was the big thing at the time with Monica Lewinsky. What you know? As long as he says sorry, <laughs> let's all good. And uh, now we're very much in a, like, what, you know, it's like, uh, what, what was I reading? We Unperson People was uh, the director of this movie, Bohemian Rhapsody. I haven't seen it. I'm uh, too young for Queen, far too young for Queen. But, uh, um, uh, but uh, it's this movie, Bohemian Rhapsody, right? It's big, and it's uh, um, popular, and it's winning awards, and it's, like, awkward. Because the director, Brian Singer, has this long, 20-year like, history of doing terrible things, right? 20-year history of sexual assault various forms, all these allegations. And so he's been, and this is the article I was reading, he's been unpersoned. Right? They can't talk about him. He's taken off the, you know, it's like, he, he's just like, he's no longer a person, That he created this movie. They don't know how to handle that. And that's a response to, like, in the past, historically, things have just been ignored. Or the answer's been just say, you're sorry. And so that brings me, you know, like, this moral outrage is intense, but you know the harsh reality is like which one of us could withstand that kind of scrutiny? Now I, by God's grace, don't have twenty years of allegations following me by Brian Singer, Singer. But what one of us would want to put ourselves out there on Twitter for the whole <laughs> world to try to analyze what's wrong with us and hold us to account? So what do we do with that justice? The need for justice, and at the same time, like is there any way out that isn't just a cop out, is just letting people get away free? Without consequences. And that brings me, so we're in the Lord's Prayer. Bill spoke for the last two weeks on the first two-thirds of the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to read a broader passage in the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 6 and verses 5 to 15. I'm going to focus just on verses 12 and 13 about forgiveness. About forgiving others and about temptation. Let me read, follow along in the Word of God with me as I read. And when you pray. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Bill, Bill was saying, you know, this is a, a framework Jesus lays down for us, principles for prayer. I mean, we do pray this. We can pray this just word for word. That's a powerful thing in and of itself, but it's a framework. And I was drawing, you know, reading up on the Lord's Prayer, Spurgeon, this is 19th century English preacher Charles Spurgeon. This is the, the image he used for the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's a ladder. Where does it start? Back there in verse 9. Our father in heaven. It starts with children. Children of God. Something even the angels can't say, Hebrews 1 tells us. We're children of God, adopted, saved. Second, it tells us we're, we're subjects. This is like an English word, right? And technically, you're not a citizen, you're a subject in a kingdom. Your kingdom come, we're subjects in God's kingdom. We have a king. Third, we're, we're, we're servants. We say, your will be done. We're servants of God. Fourth, we're beggars. Give us this day our daily bread. And fifth, and this brings us to tonight, we're sinners. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And last, we're sinners who desperately don't want to keep on sinning. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let me talk about forgiveness. First, for forgiveness from God. I was reading, you know, I'm reading through, through the, the, the Bible and January, that means Genesis, and forgetting Jacob and Esau. Like, did Jacob and Esau get along, those of you who know Genesis? Like, Jacob was cheating Esau from the moment of birth. Like, his name means he cheats, um, because he was like, they're twins, and he was grabbing Esau. Esau was born first, but Jacob grabbed his ankle and came out. And, um, so he cheats, and he cheated Esau. Well, he... Uh, this isn't cheating, this is smart business practices. <laughs> Esau was an impulsive man. He sold his birthright, his inheritance, to Jacob for a bowl of suit. And then, <laughs> when, um, and, I mean, if the opportunity presents itself, right. Um, and and uh, then, worst of all, um, this is cheating. He, when his father was old and blind, uh, he was going kind to of bless Esau. The older son grant him um, power and authority. And uh, Jacob, their mother preferred Jacob; he was her favorite. And Jacob uh, fooled his father, as it, into blessing him instead. And so then Esau wanted to kill him. That's what Esau was planning. I'll wait till dad dies and then I'll kill my brother. You might feel that way too. And so Jacob fled. He spent twenty years elsewhere, and he got himself a couple wives. and then he had to come back because he had a falling out with his father-in-law, who was definitely a worse man than Jacob. And um, and they, on his way back, he's afraid. What Esau? He hears Esau's coming with four hundred men, and so he's afraid. So he puts his least favored wives and concubines and daughters in the front, and his most favored in the back, just in case. And he sends a whole bunch of gifts. And he's smart. And um, but they come. And this is a really beautiful moment. They come in Genesis thirty-three, and they meet. And what does Esau do? Jacob. Jacob doesn't know. Him. Esau runs up to him, embraces him, kisses him, and weeps. There's this moment of reconciliation, like in just a moment, if like, that's all it took. Twenty years of you know, oh, he's going to kill me. All those years, a whole lifetime of reasons to hate each other, and. Uh, All it took was they embraced and they kissed, and they wept. And then they're reconciled. They go and they bury their father later when Isaac dies. And they live their lives. And this is like, what does it mean to forgive? This is one of the most important questions you can answer in your life. And there are two parts to this in verse 12. This is in the petition. We talk about there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. So this is the fifth petition in verse 12. It has two parts. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. What does it mean to forgive? Now, this debt, right? It's like, now I don't know, we're at Princeton, so there's a little bit less. This isn't like how to get out of your student loans. Um, Or your credit card debt, don't get into credit card debt. Or your um, automotive debt, careful about that. Or your mortgage, very careful about that. Um, Or your law school or medical debt in the future. Um, It's not about that. it's about debts that are much more important than money. We know that. I mean, it's made really clear there in verses fourteen and fifteen. If you forgive others, their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Trespass—that's an old word—means it's the bad stuff you do to each other. That stuff that leads to a crumpled heart. That stuff that leads to a broken relationship with your brother, such that you run away for twenty years, right? And so, how can we be forgiven? And so first, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus directs us to pray to God, to ask him for forgiveness. Ultimately, all that terrible stuff that we do, what does David say in Psalm 51? David, my namesake, um, was a really terrible sinner in the Bible. really terrible sinner. I mean, a wonderful writer of Psalms, a great king, he was a conqueror, he's an image of Christ. He raised the money for the temple, but he did some terror. One very specific dramatic sin. He stole a man's wife, right? Bathsheba, he saw her. He was in the palace, up in the heights. saw her. She was beautiful. And he went in and slept with her, had her brought to him. Got her pregnant, brought Uriah, her husband, back from the war to try to get him to, you know, spend some time with his wife to cover up the fact that she was pregnant. Uriah was unwilling, and so then David had him go, uh, get killed, had him put Uriah in the front of the battle and pull back and then he married Bathsheba, and he's challenged on this by Nathan the prophet. I almost—I should have named my son Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> Every David needs a Nathan. <laughs> I, was, I was too afraid it would come true. <laughs> name's Joshua instead. <laughs> and, uh, and he's challenged on this. What, what does David say? We have a song. You know, uh, half the Psalms are from from David, and we have this beautiful song of repentance from him. One of the most striking things he, things he says in that song when he. Repented over his sin with Bathsheba, Nathan the Father went to him. It's this, verse 4 of Psalm 51 Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's not saying there didn't sin against Uriah, who he had killed, or against Bathsheba, who he stole. Uh, But he's saying that at root, all this wickedness, all this injustice in the world, all this anger, justified anger, fundamentally, Who we most need forgiveness from is the God who made us. All this, the moral outrage, you know, when I was a student, morality was supposed to be a thing of the past, right? Morality was supposed to be relative. Morality has not faded. People have not forgotten it. We are made in the image of God, and we demand justice. We desire justice. We have the hard reality that that justice will come for all of us. And so, why? Because we're made in God's image. And that sin, first and foremost, is against him. And what does God desire, though, like with Jacob and Esau? This is also from Psalm 51. He desires a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Verse 17. Sacrifice and offering. They have a whole system in the Old Testament law of providing sacrifices for sin. But what does David say? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Broken and contrite heart, but God, you do not despise. It's the weeping, the embrace, the kiss. Right? It's like laying down your pride. It's like so. It can be done in a moment. A whole lifetime of broken relationship can be repaired in a moment, but only if you humble your heart. Only if you fall on your feet before God and ask for that forgiveness. How? How is that made possible? To unpack that first. This most important. Truth here, forgive us our debts, it's made possible because Jesus has provided a way. I mean, sin, all this injustice in the world, it cries out for blood. What does the writer to the Hebrews say? He says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. But Jesus' blood has been shed to forgive your sin on the cross. All the price for all the sins that you've done, if you only ask for forgiveness, they're born by Jesus. They're born by Jesus. So pray Pray it every day, forgive us our debts, forgive me Lord, forgive me for the sins that I've done, done against you, done against others, and so also against you. But we don't, we don't forgive, we, for, we ask for that forgiveness, going back to the beginning, climbing up that ladder that Spurgeon's talked about, we ask as children, not as slaves, not as enemies, we ask as children, and then that God has provided a way that forgiveness is on offer. So that's the first part. Their forgiveness from God. Second, the second half of verse 12. Forgiving others. This is what it says. As we also have forgiven our debtors. The one leads inescapably to the other. If we say, like, I'm in Christ. I have been forgiven my sin. And we are unmerciful to other people. Then we lie. Right? If we find it impossible to forgive others. While still claiming that we know what it is to be forgiven of our own sins. Then we lie. It leads, it compels, it enables the cross of Christ. It commands us to forgive others. Now, let me break down some practical things just briefly, because there's, this is a whole world of important truths for my life and your life. You know, I was struggling over this with, with Christine and my wife. I was like, how can I illustrate forgiveness? Because, you know, I have like endless illustrations of forgiveness uh, from my own life, receiving forgiveness, seeking forgiveness, seeing it in so many other people's lives, and I can't share any of them with you. I can't share any of them with you. Because if I did, it would get back to the person, and I would have to go and seek forgiveness from them, talking about our personal business and their business, right? It's like, this is such important business, important stuff, and we can't talk about it. Because it's that one-on-one, right? You've got to seek the person out first. But Let me talk about just a few things. So first, don't let this side of Ephesians... Chapter 4, verse 26, don't let the sun go down on your anger. i am going to talk about four things each to, to each, your intention. All right, so first, don't let the sun go down on your anger. This is a basic exhortation. You find yourself, you're going to bed at night, and you're raging with anger over something, well, pray to God that you would be able to forgive your sins, but feel also the command of God, the power of God in your life to go and seek that person out and work it out. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It is a good word. Is a good word, especially when you're married, especially when you have children. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't we'll work that out. Well, let, me, let me hold that to intention with the second thing, which is, it is his glory to overlook a fall. This is uh, Proverbs 19.11. Uh, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it's his glory to overlook a fault. Because you know, here's the thing. Sometimes we're like, we take that, um, you know, some people are, uh, it's so hard for us to confront someone with our anger. And we never do it. So what we need to pray is, Lord, make me bold, and all will let us under that. Anger. Others of us, we're like, everything I feel must be true. And the moment I feel it, I'm going to tell everybody. <laughs> it's his glory. To, it's a glorious thing to overlook a This It is really helpful to me. It's like you find yourself uh, going, going about your day. I don't know, different people do different things. Chris was telling me, it's like when he runs. You know, when you run, it's like it comes to mind the thing you're upset about. What do you do when you're in that moment? You pray. For me, it's in the shower. Like, I'm in the shower, and I'm just thinking about, if if there's something I'm upset about, it will come to my mind. There was a period in my life where I, like, started showering less. I won't tell you when. It was like a bad, you know, it was a bad habit. What is it for you? What is it for you where that comes to mind? There's some some place in your life where the things, and there's this decision point in that. It's like, on the one hand, don't let the sun go down in your anger. Go work that out. On the other hand, though, maybe, maybe it's the best thing, the glorious thing to do is to overlook it. Maybe it's a small thing, right? And even sometimes things I've been extremely upset about, you know, actually after a little bit of time, I'm like, oh no. That was just, just the reaction of the moment. You know, sometimes if you let it sit and then you're like, no, this is faster, that's when you know, okay, I gotta work this out. And uh, you work that out. How, how do you decide between those two, that tension? You pray to God and seek advice from other people. I don't mean gossip to other people until the problem gets worse, but seek advice from some other people, trusted people advice <coughs> Let me give another set of tension. That's intention. Because often I think as Christians we get this trite like unforgiveness. Like any issue in life, there's just this sort of simple act of forgiveness that you extend. And no matter how deep the hurt is, no matter how bad, no matter how long standing, bam, it's gone. And you know what? So without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sin. All right? Without repentance, there's no forgiveness of sin. Let me read. You. This is from Luke 17. Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea and that he would cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times, saying, I repent, you must forgive him. There's a crucial if. That, you know, I'm on dangerous ground here. I'm not sure everyone would agree with me. Um, in the room, or even in Christian ministry. Uh, but true forgiveness requires repentance. So it's like if you have, this is the classic example, if you have someone in your life, it's a terrible, abusive relationship. They are unrepentant. No matter what you do, you go to them. They give you no ground. All right? There is no reconciliation there unless there's that. With Jacob and Esau, it was a two-way thing. It was in a moment. It was so simple. But it was a two-way thing, the weeping, and the embracing, the kissing. right it was solved. But if that's not there, it's a trite thing to go to someone who's just like, yeah, this person's just keeping abuse on you. Oh, just forgive them. Right? But, this, in contrast to that, and this, I say, is crucial in freeing you in those situations. In those situations where the sun just keeps going down in your anger. And you have no human hope of resolution of it. This is Romans 12. Paul exhorts, Romans 12 is a beautiful chapter. He this exhortation towards the end of it. He says, verse 12, I'll read from verses 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And we read that verse 18 again. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all.
1: So it may be,
0: we, we have no guarantee that every broken relationship will end like Jacob and Esau's. And that embrace. But we do have the power in Christ to live at peace insofar as it as it is in our power with everyone. To live at peace with everyone. That's the hard part. When you're in that kind of unreconciled relationship, you just rise. You know, you rise to the ante. They keep abuse on you, and you bring it out back to them, right? The worst comes out of you is the worst comes out of you. And the miracle that is in the grace of the gospel in your life, knowing that your sins have been born by Jesus, is that you are enabled to respond to that, even a whole lifetime's worth of that hatred, and nonetheless to be at peace with that person, to seek reconciliation, to be open to that reconciliation, to not respond in kind. To not respond in kind. So, just as practical exhortation, as we look at this, as we forgive our debtors, as we have forgiven our debtors. I just want to lay those seats. going to talk about more on retreat. For those of you who will be on retreat, there'll be a round table. And always forgiveness is a powerful and important topic. But what do you do? Pray. You're angry in the shower on a run? Pray about it. You don't have the courage to uh, seek reconciliation? Pray to God about it. You have an unreconciled relationship? Pray to lift it up completely you don't know how to be at peace with someone, lift it up to the Lord. All right, third, let me talk about temptation. So this is the, the sixth petition in the Lord's Prayer, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You could render the translation just as equally. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. From evil or from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation. And first, let me just say, God does not lead us temptation. In some ways, this is an easy prayer for God to answer. (laughs) Because it is against his very nature to lead us into temptation. James tells us, James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, he himself tempts no one. God does not tempt us. Nor, for that matter, does he leave us powerless in the face of temptation. This is Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. God will provide you a way of escape from that temptation. But thinking about this, what is this? So it's like, Spurgeon says, this last petition, it's the sinner who doesn't want to keep on sinning. It's like if we've been forgiven, we know what it is to be forgiven of our sins by Christ, and if we have forgiven others, those who wronged us, why don't we keep on giving reasons to have to be reconciled? Have you ever had to reconcile yourself with someone? My wife and I once had this, this is is one of the rare examples I can actually share. We were in church, uh, some friends of ours at church, um, anti-vaccination. And um, some other friends of ours were pro-vaccination of children. All right, just throw out some controversy there. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, we are, and these particular set of friends were, not particular set of friends were, and they got into it on Facebook. And normally, you know, you're a fool to get into that sort of stuff ever in life. I mean, normally, ever in life, right? It's like often you have, in, with your friends, you'll have. Disagreements on important issues. But that, frankly, is a secondary issue to the cause of Christ, right? So it's like, oh, we're both followers of Jesus, like, we'll just never raise that we disagree with your views on vaccination. But, you know, it became an important issue because if they don't vaccinate their children and their children get measles, our children can get measles from their children. That's how it works, even if our children are vaccinated. So we chimed in. I don't know that this was a good idea, but we felt important to pick that fight, fools that we were And, um, and, uh, and then you know they they were a little in, they, they then initiated this process that we should get together with some mediation. It took like a eight two months, maybe six weeks, because we all had kids. And so, anyway, so then we're all hanging out at Turks together, we're still friends. And two months later, we finally got had to sit down and we had a great conversation. And you know, it's like we think it's important issue. There was no hard feelings. Like, why would you do more sins to cause more like trouble like that in your life? It is hard work to reconcile. So don't give in to temptation. Flee temptation. Right? Don't keep on sinning. It'll just wreck your life. If you just need a pragmatic exhortation, <laughs> just wreck your life. <laughs> it's hard work to reconcile. It's much easier if you don't wreck your relationships like Jacob did with Esau. Um, just cut that off at the past. But let me say a few things. Uh, one simple exhortation. What are you... What? What seeds are you planting each day? What what are you praying to? Uh, how is I uh, thinking about like the path? Like one of the powers of the Lord's prayer is the habit of people praying it on a daily basis, morning and evening, always being in this in this habit. And this last petition it tells us well. This is from Chris Sally, which just walked in. Tells us these three <laughs> simple truths. It tells us these three simple truths. One. Evil is real. Evil is real. I mean, just read your Facebook feed. The news, anything, talk to literally anyone. Evil is real. Get to know them really well. Um, evil is real, both inside our own hearts and the evil one outside. And second, uh, we're weak. Man, are we weak. And third, God is strong and will provide us a way out. God is strong and will provide us a way out. But going back see what seeds are you planting? Because so I was thinking of this, you know, I, I, so many, uh, like, seeing people grow older, I'm 39, so I've had friends from college, just like you, we were, like, young, and I like to think in the, you know, misty eyes of hindsight, tender-hearted, and open to the world, and caring about each other, back in the late 90s, the day's pure, yes. and now we're, you know, like, I'm almost middle-aged, right, I can still they to not be middle-aged until I'm 40, not until <laughs> May, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've lived long enough to have made some serious decisions that have led to some different paths. Because I think, you know, you can each day wake up. You can pray yourself this prayer. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me. You pray that prayer. Often, what are we doing? We wake up. and what do we feed? We feed all sorts of different things. It could be pride. I'm awesome. I don't need to listen to anyone. You say that to yourself every day? Most people don't say it explicitly. Some do. You know, they do the pet talks to themselves. <laughs> but think what kind of a person you'll be 20 years from now. Some people, it's, our, just, it's your despair. And every day you're, you're waking up and you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, I'm worthless. I have nothing to live for. Some people, it's just our pleasures, our addictions. We just, we're just pressing buttons that were provided by technology or society. We're just feeding that addiction. Take that out 20 years. For some of us, it's just we're just hardening our hearts. We're feeding our anger. It might be even righteous anger against injustice. We're just feeding every day, a little bit more. No way out. Take that 20 years into the future. And I've seen that. It saddens me. And I can share this because I have enough friends in this category. that I can say this non-specifically. I see people getting at it with each other. And I'm like, how did they get so hard? heart. They weren't like this when we were 19, <coughs> having conversations at 2 a.m. in down stone. Right? It's like back then, we they hadn't yet hardened their hearts. They hadn't yet fed that addiction. They hadn't yet given way to pride. They hadn't yet uh, uh, devoted themselves day by day to the wrong path. Alternatively, I see friends, some of whom have had objectively much harder lives, who every day, this is their prayer. Forgive us our debts. Prayer as a child to our Father in Heaven, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation. Day by day, they're praying to God, do not lead me into temptation, but deliver me from me. What is the outcome of that? That softening, that humbling, that... uh, the turning away from evil. That embracing of God's way. The result of that is fruit for you 1600 So much fruit. It's such a glorious thing to set your life and do it now. That's why we do Canvas ministry. Do it now while you're young. What are you going to feed every day in your life? What are you going to feed? In Say you waste 20 years like Jacob and Esau. What are you going to do at the end of those 20 years? You know, it's better. Sometimes, you know, maybe you'd be like, well, I'll just save it up. I'll live a terrible life, and hopefully in one moment, 20 years from now, we we'll reconcile. Start in that every day. And if you don't, and 12 years go by, you start that day. Right? The Lord's Prayer does not, it can work any day of the year, any moment. Sometimes, it's a nice habit, like, you do it in the morning, you do it in the evening, like prayer, you open your, your Bible, and you read. Sometimes you come here in the morning, you're praying, like, Lord... Leave me not into temptation. You come to the evening and you're like, wow, did I not follow through on that? Man, that didn't all work out. Just keep it up. I reckon, we recognize that we need a Savior, that we're sinners. We recognize we're that, on that bottom of the ladder, and yet we are also, we recognize we're beggars. We need God for our daily bread. We recognize we're servants. We recognize, though, that we are subjects in a kingdom Worshippers of a holy God, a holy God who has adopted us as His very own children. Let that be our prayer, every day. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are indeed a great and glorious God, worthy to be praised. Heavenly Father, your kingdom is a kingdom that shines in this world, a world that is so fallen, so so full of brokenness, so full of despair, so full of wickedness. But in you we find hope, in your Son, in whose body we have the forgiveness of our sins. Pray, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would enable us to forgive others our sins we have been forgiven, to have joy in that, to have skill in the practical realities of that. And we pray, Lord God, that you would lead us not into temptation, to live our sin. In Jesus' name.